Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. There is a better way to practice architecture. When you build a thriving business, you will then have the time and the financial resources to do your best work, to design the architecture that you want to design. We've built a powerful program of resources, training, and community for you, the small firm architect. We'll show you how to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Entree Architect Academy. To learn more, visit the homepage at entrearchitect.com. This is Entree Architect Podcast, and you're listening to episode 177. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. I'm back with another episode from our podcast series called The Entrepreneur Architect, where I interview you, members of the Entree Architect community. I want to know your story. I want to give you an opportunity to come on the show and share some of your knowledge. We all have a story, a story about how we were inspired to pursue a career in architecture, a story about the people who influenced us along the way, a story about how we became entrepreneur architects. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, we have a landscape architect with us, Daniel Roby. 
Entrepreneur Architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, BQE Software, and RCAT. And I'm going to share a little bit more about these great companies later in the show. But before we get started here, take a quick note to schedule some time later this week to visit each one of them. Go check them out and let them know that you appreciate them supporting us, the Entree Architect community. Daniel Roby, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you taking the opportunity to talk with a, uh, a landscape guy after uh, that's really not your target audience, but hopefully I can uh, provide some insight on what I do. And um, I'm sure there's some some other landscape architects out there listening to your podcast as well, hoping to provide a little insight. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you reached out because you'd be surprised how many, you may not be surprised at how many landscape architects are in the community. Oh, good. Uh, they they reach out to me all the time. I look at landscape architects and architects as brothers and sisters. You know that that we're right. all from the same place. We, we certainly are practicing the same way. Uh, the, right. The, the struggles that we have as architects uh, are certainly being the same struggles and and successes that landscape architects have. Uh, so it's great sure. to have you here. I love I love uh, having you here in order to uh, to have this conversation. So uh, let me give you a little intro to who you are, uh, Daniel Roby. Yeah, landscape architect, the owner of Huntland's Landscape Architecture based in Northern Virginia and the surrounding regions. Uh, he received a bachelor degree in landscape architecture from Clemson in 2002 and is a licensed professional landscape architect in the state of Virginia, a lead green associate and a multi award winning designer for over 15 years. Uh, Daniel lives in Hamilton, Virginia with his wife, Muffy and three kids, Maris, Charlie, and Hank. So that sort of gives a little bit of background. Uh, I'd love for you, Daniel, to give us a little bit more depth. Go back to where you discovered landscape architecture. Uh, what inspired you to become a landscape architect? And uh, and tell us your journey from that point to where you are today. Sure, sure. Um, I think probably starting back, just like all of your other, uh, you know, people that you have on the podcast, I started out loving uh, you know, loving to draw anything artistic. Uh, that was always something that I really loved to do, but, you know, didn't know about architecture early on or landscape architecture. I always thought I wanted to draw cartoons. You know, I would always draw, you know, anything I'd see on TV or whether that was something in a comic book. That was always what I loved to do, drawing funny cartoons, making people laugh, things like that. Um, and then I hit about middle school, early high school and found golf. And I just completely fell in love with golf. Everything in my life revolved around it. I read about it. I played it. I worked at the golf course. Everything involved golf. Um, and then when it came time to figure out what I wanted to do after high school, uh, I started researching some things and, uh, you know, kind of fell upon it through a trip that I had on the golf team in high school. We went to a local golf course that was under construction with Gary Player, and he walked us around the course with wow. his architect and they sh they talked about let's move some bunkers here let's make this green a little different and i said well this is it this is exactly what i want to do it just combines everything that i want to do uh so that was kind of the career path i was looking at um and uh majored in landscape architecture from clemson university along the way you know really realized that getting into golf course architecture is a pretty tough tough uh you know job to get into you really need a name behind you or an ex-player, um, so I really started to look at some other other options. So I did a number of internships 
while I was at Clemson University, worked for a land planning company, um, doing kind of civil engineering land planning. Also did uh, two internships in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, one was doing, you know, residential install work down by the battery, all the historic homes, you know, just grunt work in the 110 degree heat all day in the summer, but uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and then did another internship in Charleston at the Parks Department, uh, doing some really interesting things down there. So really kind of got exposed to a lot of different avenues. Um, and then after graduated Clemson, um, you know, their program was really heavy on more land planning, large scale development. So that was what I went to after college. And that was in Charlotte, North Carolina, working for a land planning civil engineering firm. But I was doing CAD work all day, you know, really wasn't expressing that kind of artistic side of things. And I always thought back to that internship I had in Charleston doing uh, some of that residential install work, which was so much fun. Um, so I really thought, well, maybe I'll go to the residential side of things uh, and ended up moving back home after the birth or right before the birth of our first uh, child uh, working for a small company, then moved on to another larger residential landscape design company, Design Build. Uh, and worked for them for the past 13 years. And then just uh, this past February, opened up my new business doing uh, high-end landscape architecture. So that's kind of the process from the very start to where I am right now. Yeah, cool. Well, congratulations on the new firm. That's pretty Thank cool. Thank you. It's that's very exciting. Big step, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting and scary all at the same time, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> On a minute-by-minute minute basis, yeah, you know? It's a exactly constant roller right. coaster. Yeah, exactly but right. uh, having a great time doing it, though. Really enjoying it. Good, good. So, so um, I just I want to clarify what a landscape architect does, just so we sort of understand that clearly. Yeah, that's, you know, when we're talking about landscape architecture, that's always the struggle I have is when I tell people that I'm a landscape architect, I get all kinds of feedback from them. Yeah. It, it, it seems that it's, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there as far as what I do uh, and what landscape architects do in general. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty wide range uh, of projects that we can work on. But, you know, I've gotten everything from, you know, when I tell them a landscape architect, they say, oh, well, can you come to my house and tell me why my hydrangeas aren't blooming? Or can you come and give me an estimate to put some mulch down? And, you know, I kind of have to back up right. and educate them on exactly what I do. So um, specific to what I do uh, for my firm, I do uh, high-end residential landscape architecture. I'm working with elements of plantings, hardscape, you know, whether it's a wall, outdoor fireplace, outdoor kitchen. Um, I do a lot of architectural structures, whether that's a, you know, simple gate, arbor, pergola, uh, pavilion, decks, green porch, you know, even get into pool houses where I'll partner with an architect. Um, so I'm looking at those elements and then also a lot of uh, water features, whether that's a small fountain up to a, you know, a large pool, uh, infinity edge pools, you know, all the, you know, nice bells and whistles that come with some of those structures. Um, and then tying all that together into kind of one cohesive element and then adding in pieces like the outdoor lighting, the irrigation, uh, integrated audio, you know, all those, you know, high end uh, bells and whistles that are that are out there. I kind of put all those features together is really what I do as, as part of my company. Yeah, that's one of the, the common themes and, and and concerns that architects have is, mm -hmm. is trying to communicate what architects do. Right. Uh, and, and what our role is. And so I can just imagine how more even more difficult it is right. for a landscape architect to explain what they do. Right. Um, so uh, it, I, I, it, I appreciate the opportunity for you to be able to uh, explain that. 
It is. I think as soon as you say landscape, you know, people just think, you know, landscapers. And it's kind of like someone you telling yourself, you know, telling somebody that you know that you're an architect and they say, oh, well, maybe you can come over and help me tell me what's wrong with my, you know, air conditioning system. You know, it's kind of that, it's kind of a similar thing, you know, they just don't quite understand exactly the scope of the services that we can uh, provide. Yeah, yeah. Good. So, so uh, let's start with the first question, your big goal. So in uh, other than becoming a landscape architect and, and other than starting your own firm, unless that's the one you're going to say, (laughs) right? Right. uh, or is there one specific goal that you had that you achieved and and can you explain that goal and how you achieved it? Yeah. You know, the the thing that I thought about was really, you know, starting this business because, um, you know, there for a while, the last company I was with was a very good company, uh, had a very good experience with them, but the, just the opportunity to advance just, uh, you know, I didn't see that there. Um, so I had been, you know, testing the, the job market out there to see what was out there and just wasn't getting any feedback. Um, and I never, ever thought I'd want to start my own business. Uh, never had any dreams of doing that, but after a while I thought, well, you know, I think if I really want to advance my career and look at new opportunities, it's really the, the best thing for me to do. So, um, that was a huge goal, uh, that I'd set up and really worked towards this for probably, you know, 10 to 12 months before I did it, you know, getting everything lined up, uh, reading everything I could, listening to every podcast like yours, uh, that I could to kind of get every kind of information. Cause I'm definitely not, uh, business minded. I think a lot of architects, designers, period, you know, that side of the brain doesn't work as well as, yeah. you know, drawing and, uh, the more creative side of things. So it was pretty tough to get my head wrapped around that. So that really was a big goal of mine, uh, to open the business and, and very proud of myself for doing that. And, and, uh, you know, looking back, it was, it was a huge learning experience. Yeah, that you know the the most difficult part I think of starting a new firm is that decision to start the new firm. Right. To, right. to get past the fear and say, okay, I'm going to do this. <laughs> right. You know, and, and especially being established in this company for the last yeah. you know, 13 years, having three kids at home, you know, it, it's a little different than starting it. You know, when you're by yourself, uh, I've got a little bit more on the line here. Um, so it was a little bit of a nerve wracking decision, but uh, I'm really glad I did it. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to you uh, right. in making that decision, especially, you know, especially with a family, you know, and having right. those responsibilities. That is a huge uh, responsibility and a huge leap of faith that it's going to work. Right. Um, and so uh, it does take quite a bit of courage to, to do what you did. Sure. And on the same side of things, you know, it's allowed me to be at home a lot more, you know, be more involved with the kids, you know, be here when they get off the bus, which has been just a blessing. It's been so much fun. Yeah. That for me, that's the number one thing. Right. When I, when I, when I define entrepreneur architect, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, a guy out there trying to make money as an architect. That's not how I define entree architect. Certainly that's a huge part of it because that allows us to do all the other things that we want to do. Um, but the freedom and the and the integration of my life with my firm is by mm-hmm. far the the most powerful piece of what what I do as a as a small firm, uh, uh, you know, entrepreneur architect. Absolutely, yeah. I would agree with that one hundred percent. And when I look back, and and no matter what struggles I have, you know, by doing this, because it's much easier to just go work for somebody else. Right. No, no doubt about it. Easier. Right. Um, but when I look back at my life when I'm old and I and my kids are grown and I have grandchildren. I will never regret becoming an entrepreneur architect uh, right. and, and having that time to spend with my kids and to be able to be part of their lives as they grow up. 
Right, right. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. What, so what are some of the struggles that you've encountered along the way of, of getting to where you are? You know, I think, um, you know, some of them, you know, early on or, you know, some of them were simple little things, just like figuring out how I set up my email. I mean, it's, it goes from the smallest little thing like that yeah, yeah. up to, you know, building my contract, putting that together. I had some issues with uh, uh, some interactions with some lawyers, um, you know, looking at my contract. Uh, so I had some issues with that. Um, and then also I'm in a little bit of a different area than I, where I worked uh, for the past 13 years, I worked inside the Beltway, closer to Washington D.C. Where I live now is about uh, 35, 40 miles west of the city. So I'm in a little bit more of a rural neighborhood, but it's where I grew up. It's in the county that I grew up, and I really want to establish myself out here. But it's a little bit of a tighter knit circle to break into. So that's one of the challenges um, that I'm currently, you know, working on every day, trying to meet as many people as I can. You know, trying to work my way into those circles and educate them on what I can do and what I can bring to them. Um, so I'd say that the, you know, it, it really ranges. Uh, I think it's a struggle every day, like you're saying, you know, between yeah. finding those leads and, you know, just the big things, the little things. So what are some of the things that you're doing to establish yourself? That's, that's certainly something that, that many architects who start their own firms struggle with as well. That, that sure. okay, I'm, I'm, even if you are in the same region that you were working before, you, mm -hmm. have, you have to, you have to announce to the world that you are sure. doing what you're doing. Uh, sure. And and market yourself. So what are some of the things that you're doing? So the very first thing I started out doing was reaching out to local architects, builders, um, interior designers, selected contractors and writing them letters and really announcing my my business and, um, you know, handing out a lot of cards. You know, I wanted to try and go that route rather than, you know, you know, put, you know, ads in the newspaper. You know, I'm trying to really kind of do a little bit more direct marketing to those professionals that I really hope to collaborate with. Um, you not only to get, you know, better leads through them, but also to avoid a lot of the tire kickers. You know, a lot of the people yeah. that are just out there, you know, can give me a price for that and this. Um, and the people that kind of understand more of what I do. So I started out, you know, probably sent out probably a hundred different letters and through those have gotten, you know, probably I'd say between 30 and 50% of them, I get answers back. Um, you know, and set up a lot of meetings with them. Um, and that's really been beneficial to getting some of these jobs early on in the process. Um, I've also joined a number of local networking. Um, there's a small business networking association here in uh, Western Lowen County that I joined. Uh, and then there's also a uh, builders, a custom builders uh, networking association because I'm trying to do a lot of work with custom builders because I feel like that's the similar kind of clientele. So I've been doing a lot of that networking, which is a little bit out of, uh, you know, what I typically like to do. I'm not that kind of uh, person to go out and shake hands and, and meet everybody, but I really try to go out of my comfort zone and, and, and yeah. really uh, get myself out there, which has been, uh, that's been a little bit of a struggle too, but it's been fun. I've really enjoyed meeting all the people out here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a requirement. You know, yeah. as a business yeah. owner, you have to get out there and you do those things. I think a lot of architects and landscape architects, creative people are introverts. Right. Uh, and that's and that's really difficult, including myself, you know, to get yeah. out there and, and to meet people and shake hands and introduce yourself. And but the more you do it, the better you get at it. And, sure. you, and you and you start to overcome it. You always have a little bit of that fear getting into it. But uh, once you sort of get into the routine of how you do it uh, and right. see the success that comes with it. Yeah, uh, is it uh, it gets a little bit easier. 
Um, and it's been it's been extremely gratifying meeting a lot of people that are genuinely yeah. interested in helping you. That's what I've found. It's really kind of uh, blown me away. And it's been, you know, it, it kind of takes that edge off going out and meeting people because there are so many people that want to help you because they've been in the same situation as you have. And it's been great. Great process. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, FreshBooks, BQE Software, and RCAP. 192 hours. That works out to about two business days every month. And when you're a small firm architect using FreshBooks cloud accounting software, that's the amount of administration time that you can save this year. That's time that you can spend doing the things you love, like being an architect. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, my favorite, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access FreshBooks for free and be sure to enter Entree Architect in that How Did You Hear About Us section. One of the most often requested resources here at Entree Architect community is project management software. I hear it all the time. How do we keep our projects and our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? This podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage Partners BQE Software. They are the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the only time tracking, billing, and project management software made by architects for architects. It empowers you to easily and quickly understand everything about your projects, your staff, and finances all in one place, wherever you are. And listeners here at Entree Architect Podcast can get a free 15-day trial of ArchiOffice at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. That's entrearchitect.com slash BQE. If you've been listening to this podcast anytime during the last few months, you've heard me talking about RCAT. And hopefully you're already using their free resources on a regular basis. But for those of you who have maybe not checked them out yet, RCAT's a great tool for small firm architects like you. RCAT has huge libraries of free content, CAD, BIM, specifications, and more. And they've done all the work for you. You need a spec? Click on over and download the CSI three-part specification in multiple formats, all for free. How about a CAD detail or BIM objects? All free at the click of a mouse. RCAT has tons of building product content ready for you to use, and it's all completely free. And you don't have to register to download any of it. And they've recently launched something new that I want you to go check out. It's called Charette. Create a project, assign tasks, share and collaborate with colleagues and clients in real time. Pull content from the RCAT database, all that free stuff I'm talking about, you can pull it there and throw it into Charette. Anywhere on the web, found something out on the web, pull it in, put it into Charette. It all keeps it organized in one place and you can collaborate with your clients and your colleagues. 
And this is free too. So visit them at entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. That's A-R-C-A-T, entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. And click on the charrette icon right there on the homepage to learn more. FreshBooks, BQE Software, and RCAT. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entre Architect community. Has there been an aha moment since you started the firm that sort of the bells went off and said, oh, here it is. This is what I need to do. You know, I thought about the aha moment and it really kind of came before I started it Mm -hmm. because, you know, right when I was kind of on the edge of, am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? And it was really... it was not really my aha moment. It was through one of the guests that you had on one of your podcasts. It was um, Eric Reinhold that wrote yeah. Architect Entrepreneur. He's got a part in the book that says, you know, if, if this doesn't, if this business doesn't work out, well, I just have to get another job. And that was that aha moment that yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. what's the worst that can happen? You know, so that really, I think that's the biggest thing that sticks out in my head that I keep thinking about, you know, I just keep pushing forward, pushing forward. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I'm going to try my damnedest to get it to work out. But if not, you know, I can get a job. So that was really, it's kind of a comforting fact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Eric's, Eric's great. He's been on the show several times. Right, we did a whole right. series of podcasts with him. We'll actually link those those uh, on the show notes for this episode. This episode is uh, 177. So com slash episode 177. And we'll have links to uh, to all of Eric's. Uh, podcast episodes so people can, yeah. can listen to those uh, very inspiring and motivating they are yeah. that really helped me out that was the very first book i read um you know once i tried to start this uh the business and kind of that planning stage so what, what, so what makes you unique so what are you doing to sort of separate yourself from the other people doing the same thing that you're doing so in the area that i'm at um, in Northern Virginia, there aren't too many people doing the same thing I'm doing. There's a lot of more um, design-build businesses. That's kind of the, the the business model out here in more of the rural areas, the more rural suburbs of DC. Um, mostly, mostly build design, owned owned by build builders to doing design. You know exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, so you've got a lot of people that have all the in-house. Uh, you know, whether it's designers, project managers, and the, all the crews are in-house. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit different. Um, there are some companies set up like mine. Um, you know, more set up like an architect, uh, an architecture firm, uh, which is really what I modeled myself out of. But those companies are more, you know, to the north and east of the city. Um, so I'm a little bit unique in that aspect out here. Um, but also, you know, I think what I bring to the table is the amount of experience that I had with my last job. Um, I not only designed everything, but I managed everything down from ordering materials to working with subcontractors. I did, you know, soup to nuts on these projects, anywhere from, you know, a little $5,000 project up to, you know, I think my largest project was about $3 million project on a residence. Um, everything, you know, you would ever want outside. So I've got that experience on both sides, design and the implementation of it. I think I really bring to it. And then also I do, I try and focus on a lot of hand graphics. And I think that's a little bit of a lost art, especially with some of the newer, um, you know, designers coming out of college. And I feel like there's this kind of this underlying craft movement, you know, kind of this anti-Walmart, you know, not the, not the big computer generated drawings. And I think especially, when you're looking at a residential client, they find a little bit more warmth when you've got a hand-drawn, uh, you know, at least initial concept. They have a little bit more, it's a little bit more of a personalized approach. So I'm trying to do a lot of hand graphics, at least early on, 
uh, until we get into the build side of things. And I think that really, you know, the clients really latch onto that and they really uh, appreciate that time. Yeah, I think that is something that is uh, makes you unique. Uh, with with clients, when you do hand drawing, it it's for one, it's seductive. You know, people right. people just are seduced by that because it's not so clean. And they when you present a computer drawing, they have no idea how long it took to put together right. a computer drawing. They assume that you just push the button and the computer popped that out. But <laughs> right. but but when you do a hand drawing, there's no doubt that your hand drew that drawing. Right. Um, and right. and clients see that as magic because they can't do that. Right. Know, so when they see a hand drawing, they are impressed. They actually think that this is, and, and as they should, uh, that this is an amazing thing because it is something that we, many of us sort of growing up drawing cartoons and, and we've always been able right. to do that, right? right? We've always been able to draw. Uh, and, and as kids probably also realize that not everybody can, but as you become a professional, then you really realize that what we do when you do it by hand uh, it really looks like magic to our clients. It, and, right. and it's a great opportunity to market yourself. I, and I think a lot of firms are missing that opportunity by, by, by not presenting any hand drawings at all. We do a lot of hand drawings in schematic design specifically for that. Right. I think there's there's a romance about it. I think when yeah. people think about architects, they think people drawing and blueprinting. You know, it's that, that romantic feeling. And I've also had the reverse effect when doing – um, you know, I used to, my old firm did a lot of very high-end 3D renderings that looked like, you know, somebody took a picture of the prop yeah. property. Um, and you'd have those certain clients that would, you know, you know, they'd really zone in on one little piece of that yeah. and say, well, you don't have the white flowers that you had here, or that <laughs> yeah. wood grain is different than what you actually built. And they almost take it too literal. So yeah. you can almost go the, you know, polar opposite of the end. Uh, and people focus on what you're not supposed to. So that that hand drawing, it shows them enough detail, but not too much to where they're, you know, you know, not being able to see the forest through the trees. Right. And it's and it's a signal that it's not finished. Right. When it's hand drawing, right. it's it typically communicates to whomever's looking at that drawing that that's not a that's not the finished representation. Right. You know, when you right. get into when you get into the final construction drawings, that's the message that this is the final you know set of drawings. But when they're hand, it it clearly communicates to the client that this is a process. Right. Um, right. And, and sometimes when you bring computer aided drawings in too early, clients misunderstand and they think, yeah. Oh, that, that's we're done. Right. 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 Um, and, and I like to do lots of options initially. I don't like to show them one final computer yeah. drawing. I like to do a couple hand drawn options on trace paper. And again, it's that kind of that romance that letting them be part of that design process. Yeah. Everything's not done right now. So right. you seem to latch onto that. Especially if you're sketching right in front of them. Right. Then they really exactly. think you're a magician. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So what age did you decide to become a, a landscape architect? So I'd say it was probably, um, you know, later in high school. So I'd probably say around 16, 17, when I really latched on to that, that golf course architecture, that that's when yeah. I really zoned in on, on being a landscape architect. Do you, do you remember that moment when you were, when you were there walking that, that course and, oh, yeah. and it dawned on you that, oh my goodness, this is, this is yeah. a profession. I could do this forever. Yeah. I just never knew that was, that was something that somebody could do. And it just kind of combined everything I wanted to do, golf, sports, outside, drawing, you know, it just, it just seemed like the absolute perfect fit. So yeah. that was a neat moment. I think that's when, you know, for me, uh, you know, becoming an architect, I, I knew very early, you know, 10, 9, 10 years old. And so I never really considered anything else. And so I, I, I think I missed, 
I missed that opportunity to have that feeling because right. it was always just part of who I was as far as I can remember. Right. Um, but, but when you sort of, when you're a, a high school um, student and you're sort of struggling to figure out what you want to do with your life and it clicks Right. You know, and you have that aha moment. Like, oh my goodness, this is something that I can do forever and, and I'm going to go pursue this. Right. That's an right. exciting and exciting moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your target market, you said, was high end residential. Anything specific in high end residential? You know, uh, you know, high end residential, I'm trying to work with some custom home builders uh, and trying to get on very early in the process because it seems like a lot of times the landscape architects sometimes called in after everything's designed hmm. and you've got, you know, a window in a spot that should be a door with how it relates to a future pool or the builders put the septic field right where you want to put the pool or the well is in the wrong spot. And I know there's sometimes you don't have any choice in the matter, but, you know, it, being able to look at the big picture all at once, I, once, I think is the best. I think the homeowner is going to get the best value, the best product when you've got that cohesive picture. So ideally that's my, uh, my target market. And I know that's not, you know, going to be every job, um, but again, high end residential, I think, uh, is what I'm after. And there's also in the area where I'm at, there's also a lot of wineries. There's a lot of agricultural tourism. And I think some of those uh, kind of rural commercial areas kind of have some of the similar elements to a high end residential, uh, you know, client. So I'm trying to, you know, market towards them as well, which could be a nice opportunity. Yeah. And so with the residential, are you, you said you're marketing to architects, right? Not to land, to homeowners. You know, a little bit of both, uh, more towards the architects and the builders is what I've been trying to do so these early months. So they can introduce months. you to the process. Correct, correct. Because yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, they like to partner with somebody that they know they work well together with. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be a, a really nice team. Yeah. That's when I'm looking for a landscape architect or an interior designer. Uh, mm -hmm. it's always, I always prefer to, to bring in the people that I've worked with before. Correct. Uh, and introduce those people, even contractors, introduce those people to our clients, allow the clients to hire them directly in, in my case. Um, but you know, I, I introduce them and, and, uh, try to build that team that can work together. Sure. Especially with landscape architect, you know, you, you want them on really early, you know, because right. when you're doing siting, you know, that's important to have, to understand the rest of the design. Sure. Um, and, and not wait until, you know, so all you architects out there listening, <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing a project that requires a landscape architect, Hire early. That's right. Bring me in early. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much overlap between the architecture and the landscape architecture. It, it, it if you've got that team established very early on, it just makes for a much better process. And it makes the architecture better. Sure. Know, it, it, from from in my in my case, you know, when I've worked with landscape architects, uh, and we've collaborated like that early on, the architecture has gone up. To, you know, two three times what it was because now it's integrated with outside in a very uh, thoughtful way. Sure. And, uh, and it becomes a better piece of architecture. Sure. Sure. Um, how do you charge? What's, what's your fee structure stipulated some hourly percentage based something else? So I work, you know, again, very somewhat similar to an architect. I work in three phases, um, conceptual design, construction detailing, and project administration. Um, for the first two conceptual design and construction detailing, uh, ideally, it would be stipulated some, um, but you know, as many of your, uh, you know, podcast guests have said, you know, it depends on the scope. If that's not well defined, then I do uh, go into an hourly uh, fee structure. Project administration is, you know, that's all 
uh, hourly work. Okay. Um, other than architecture, what makes you happy? You know, again, anything with the kids. Um, I'm involved with a lot of their sports. I do some coaching, uh, which I absolutely love. Um, golf, again, goes back to golf. Anything outside. Um, you still play a lot? You know, I wish I did, but having three kids, it's it's hard three to tell your wife you're leaving owner. for five hours. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, See you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what? Another benefit of uh, starting your own business and working from home, you've got a few uh, more opportunities to sneak off to the golf course if you right, want to. Right. But, and, uh, and they become business expenses. Absolutely, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, that's you're, right. You're uh, you know trying to get a client, you know, or right. or working with uh, consultants. Sure. Right? You can write all that off. Sure. Um, Best advice you've ever received? Um, when I one of my internships when I was working in Charleston, I had a, a person tell me that after you graduate, you should work three jobs in your first five years to find your niche. And I always thought about that uh, after I graduated, and it, you know I would tell that to anybody I know, especially um, you know between architecture and landscape architecture there's so many different avenues you can go and you just don't exactly know what's going to be the best fit until you find it and I think not you know locking yourself in right after college uh, is the way to go you know not to say you know go ahead and quit these good jobs but you know make sure you find the good fit for you I think that was the best advice yeah that's I think that's great advice and 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 I sometimes I think you do need to quit that good job when you're yeah. when you're at that age uh, and that experience level in your career, even if it's a good job, I think you're right. I think architects, young architects, should be out there exploring their opportunities because they may it might be a good paying job or they may really be happy doing what they're doing, mm -hmm. uh, but you don't know. There might be something even better if you go and try something else. Right. Uh, right. I think three three uh, positions in five years is a good uh, good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, personal habit or a daily routine that contributes to your success? You know, two things. I think one, um, I work from home. So I think number one is just discipline. Hmm. You know, that's, that, that's key is to, you know, have discipline, have a routine. How do, and how do, you, to how that. do you do that? What are you doing specifically to make that happen? You know, I try and keep on a schedule. I'm pretty good about, uh, you know, sticking to a schedule as far as, you know, when I'm looking at invoicing, when I'm looking at, you know, tracking leads, um, you know, all those systems in place, as if, as you've talked about many, many times, getting those in place early and sticking to them, um, I, I think that's key. And then I think the other thing I would have to say that I've learned from doing this um, in my last job and, you know, all the other jobs before, you know, there's this culture of being busy, being busy, busy, busy all the time. Yeah. If you're not busy, something's wrong. And I've learned to take some time during the day not to be, quote, unquote, busy. Because you really, you really think so much better. You know that's why everybody has good ideas in the shower because they're not busy. You know yeah, it's it's yeah. it's that same idea. You know whether that's you know taking some time just to read a book or taking some time just to you know go outside and water the garden in the middle of the day, something like that. I think I've found that extremely extremely beneficial. But it's hard when you're used to having to be busy all the time to say, okay, let's take a break. And things, you know, if you're struggling on design, they just flush themselves out during those times. And I've found that extremely beneficial. Yeah. Do you, do you schedule that or do, is that just something you say, oh, I feel I need to stop and get outside? Yeah, I don't schedule that. Um, it, typically, I'll do it, you know, after lunch. You know, I'll typically, you know, take a breather, you know, go outside or do something uh, yeah. just away from, you know, the busy, busy, busy. Do you have a recommended app or an internet resource? 
You know, I'd, I'd have to just say Instagram. That completely changed how I view social media. I'd never been a Facebook person or Twitter or anything um, and was kind of, you know, adverse to it at first. But somebody said, hey, you should really go on Instagram. I, tip, I thought it was just a whole bunch of people taking pictures of their dinner or, you know, <laughs> pictures of their new babies, you know. Yeah. But I really found um, – so many businesses, architects, landscape architects, designers of all ranges show so much work. And it's not – I enjoy Howls and I enjoy Pinterest, but those are finished pretty pictures. I enjoy seeing the process. I think that's what Instagram really benefits the most from because you're seeing the behind the scenes of their dirty sketches. You're yeah. seeing Real the time. construction photos. Yeah, and I just – I am just so happy you know, every day looking at that and, you know, just found so much inspiration through Instagram. So have you, have you had any direct, um, response that you could point to that say that resulted from, from Instagram? You know, I, you know, early when I started, you know, forming the business, um, I, that was kind of the same time I started putting some of my drawings on Instagram. I do a lot of my sketches on Instagram and I really kind of use it almost as a business blog. And I would get every once in a while, I'd get some feedback from other professionals, like some well-known professionals that I know. And it just gave me this confidence boost that, you know, maybe it sounds trite, but it was something to kind of give me that extra push that says, hey, this other professional who's well-established thinks that what you're doing is really good. That, yeah. that means a lot with somebody that's trying to start a business. So that was really a huge push and a huge yeah. asset. That's a great response to that. Yeah. What's your username for anybody who wants to go check you out? It's uh, Huntlands LA. Okay, Huntlands. So Huntlands LA. Correct, yep. correct. Okay, go check them out. Go sign up Get you know, and, and uh, uh, follow and uh, go share that's it with right. some other friends and show them. What, let's get some numbers up on his user count there. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Love to meet everybody. It, it's it's a neat community. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the best parts that I think about all the social media that we're on. Um, is are the community is the community that we're building around it. You know, you see that mm-hmm. in Twitter, great community of architects on Twitter and Facebook on on the Entree Architect community, uh, Facebook group, the private group. You know, really really great people. Yeah. And sharing ideas. It's not just looking at pictures. Everybody's asking, well, how'd you do this? How'd you do yeah. that? And it's just a constant sharing of ideas. It's kind of a giant peer group. It's great. Yeah. Yep. Um, a recommended book and why would you recommend it? You know, I'd have to go back to, uh, I think two. And again, I came across them through listening to your podcast. So I just want to say thank you to that. You're you know, welcome. one was, uh, entre- architect entrepreneur that yep. we talked about earlier. Eric Reinhold. Um, that was a great one because it's specific with what I was starting. I think that was it was hard to find a book about entrepreneurship and architectural or design because uh, it, it, it's a different market than anybody else trying to start anything. Um, and then also E-Myth. I came about that book through uh, your podcast as well. And that, you know, just the key that I got from that was to work on your business, not just work in your business. And that I think about that every day. If I'm having a day where I'm like, I uh, never think another lead's going to come in, I'll say, okay, let's work on the business. And I'll reach out to somebody else or I'll send a quick little thank you note to somebody. Just, you know, keeping working on the business every day. I try and do that. And I think that was, you know, uh, the main thing I got from that book. Yeah, excellent book. I, I, I would recommend everybody, whether you're a startup or an experienced architect, if you haven't read The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, go go read it. Absolutely. Um, it'll, it'll change the way you look at your business. Um, and you had mentioned before, you're a sole practitioner. You know, you're working for yourself. Uh, you had mentioned that you set up systems. And 
How important are those systems to you? Because I get I get pushback on that from sole practitioners. I don't really need systems. I'm all by myself. I know mm-hmm. what I'm doing. How do I? How do I? You know. So so why do you have systems put in place? Well, you know, I just you know I kind of feel out of control if I don't have them. You know, I, I've got some set up systems for lead tracking, uh, set up systems for my invoicing. You know, I think if if I don't have those systems in place, I just feel like I'm floating along. And I really, it just helps me feel more at ease, you know, being able to go back and track everything. Um, it just helps me feel more in control. You know, I think as designers, you want to be in control of everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of a natural progression. It's it's hard to do it. It's hard to sit in front of Excel um, or sit down and put those systems together. But once you get it, it's kind of a little bit of a relief. You can kind of sit back. You can look at everything as a snapshot. And it just helps that, you know, that feeling that you're in control and you're not just out here floating around. Yeah. And, and control gives is reduces your stress. When, right. When you know you're in control. Uh, your stress level goes down, and when you're not, sure. and if I mean you, if you have to think about what you have to do all the time, and what's next, and what's next, and what's next, and how I do that again, the stress level goes up. And we have yeah. so many things going on, you know. We all know how stressed we are. When you put in systems, it helps that the stress doesn't Absolutely. go away because the no. stress is always there. <laughs> but it, but it, but it helps. It also helps right. you make more money because you know you can you're more efficient, and it allows you more time to design. Sure, because, because you're more efficient. Sure. Um, let's get to the question that I ask everybody, whether we're on the series or not, what is the one thing an entrepreneur architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? You know, I think, you know, just going back to what I said before is to work on your work on business development. I found that very beneficial, uh, to work on that every day. Um, Anything I'm specific? constantly, you know, I, you know, I've found it, it's, it's beneficial doing a lot of research in the area. I'll even take a little bit of time, you know, not to be busy like we were talking about before, just driving around to some of my, the, the areas that I want to work in, just seeing who's working in the area and see if there's a specific architect, you know, see a job site sign, going out and doing that research and then reaching out to them, um, you know, taking time to see what else is going on in the area. I've found that very beneficial, um, you know, just those quick emails to other professionals, you know, just constantly working on that business development um, is what I found to really help me out early on in the game here. With the emails, is there any specific uh, approach that you're, because you're cold emailing these guys, right? And, and right. women. How, so right. How, how are you doing that and getting some response? You know, I'll typically start with that letter early on. Again, mm-hmm. I think a letter is a little bit more of a personalized approach and then follow that up with an email or a phone yeah, call following up, uh, yeah. and trying to really gear it as not only a benefit for me, but a benefit for them as well. Um, you know, one example is if I'm working with a custom home builder, if I'm doing a design for them, they can, you know, actually self-perform some of that construction on the outside, some additional revenue for them. So I'll try and kind of gear gear that interaction towards them say look this could really help you out um, if we talk so um, I think as long as they feel that there's something in it for them potentially I think that really helps uh, you know kind of have the next step and have them uh, you know schedule that next meeting or you know bring you into a job that's a a great approach that that you focus on how you can help them rather than you know I, I need you to hire me because this is what I need Right, um, right. You know, so so it's a focus on how you can make their job easier, or how much how you can make more money for them, or make them look better. Right. Um, when a contractor does that to me, consultants too, but when contractors uh, make me look good to my client, 
it's one of my favorite contractors right because there aren't right. a lot of them out there uh, exactly. but when they when they do that and they and they understand that that is important that that uh that making me look good in front of my client is a marketing strategy right uh, it right. works you know as long as it's sincere you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it also signals to me that they're a team player, that they want to play as a team. Um, yeah. And that's the best approach when everybody's out for each other. You know, it's yeah. not, you know, a lot of finger pointing. If you're in there as a team, it's it's just a, the best approach. Yeah. So let's wrap up with a uh, parting piece of guidance for our listeners and how we might be able to contact you if we wanted to reach out and say hi. Sure. I think, uh, you know, I think the best guidance that I could say is just to, get out of your comfort zone um, and really put yourself out there. Um, you know, like doing a podcast. This is not something that I typically would do. And it's, uh, you know, you just got to consistently put yourself out there because uh, you just never know who you're going to come across, who's going to find you um, through whoever the, those methods are. Um, but, it, you know, I try and do a little bit of that every day. You know, reaching out to brand new people cold is something that, you know, I'm kind of leery about. But, again, those people, you know, a lot of those people really want to help you. And it's a really gratifying experience when you do find those people. Um, and then as far as, you know, to connect with me, um, my website is Huntlands, H-U-N-T-L-A-N-D-S-L-A.com. Um, and then you can find everything through there, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, email address, phone number, everything's on the website there. Okay, we'll we'll link you up on on uh, episode 177. Uh, all those links will be there. And Daniel, thank you very much for thank uh, you, for reaching out to me and uh, and sharing your knowledge here about landscape architecture and how it works uh, and and how similar it is. You know, everything you said just now uh, <laughs> can be applied to to an architect's firm. So sure. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Great. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. If you liked what we shared here today, I ask you to go share it. Share it with a friend. Take this episode, entrearchitects.com slash episode 177, and go send a link to a friend. Email, Facebook, Twitter. I don't care how you send it. Just send it. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at that same link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 177. And don't forget to visit the website to learn more about Entree Architect Academy, our private online membership program built for you. You can build a better business. We will show you how. To learn more, visit the homepage at entrearchitect.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.